afternoon. My name is Karen Sampson Hoffman, and I'd like to welcome you to today's Ask the Expert webcast, helping parents and kids understand the social and emotional aspects of ADHD, what to know, say, and do. Today we welcome Dr. Jerome Schultz, a clinical neuropsychologist with the Harvard Medical School. The Ask the Expert webcast series is presented by the National Resource Center on ADHD, which gives the general public access to top clinicians, researchers, and other professionals. The National Resource Center is a partnership between CHAD and the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention and serves as the national clearinghouse for the latest evidence-based information on ADHD. A recording of today's broadcast will be available on the National Resource Center on ADHD's website, Help for ADHD, in about two business days. To view the recording sooner, please follow the same link you used to join us today. The recording will be available about 30 minutes following our presentation. We may not get to all of your questions today. If you would like to talk with a health information specialist, we are available Monday to Friday, 1 to 5, at 1-800-233-4050. Please take our survey. Following today's webinar, a brief survey will appear on your screen. Please take a couple of minutes to let us know what you think and how we can better serve the ADHD community through the Ask the Expert webinar series. It is a privilege to introduce today's guest expert, Jerome Schultz. Dr. Schultz is a clinical neuropsychologist on the faculty of the Harvard Medical School in the Department of Psychiatry. He specializes in the diagnosis and treatment of children and young adults with LD, ADHD, and other special needs. He is a former middle school special education teacher and currently maintains a private neuropsychology practice in Lexington, Massachusetts. He is the author of Nowhere to Hide, Why Kids with ADHD and LD Hate School and What We Can Do About It. Dr. Schultz serves, on the international, serves as an international consultant on issues related to the neuropsychology and appropriate education of children and young adults with special needs. You can find Dr. Schultz online at insideadhd.org and follow him on Twitter at, at Doc Schultz. He's, he blogs on matters relating to special education at, on Huffington Post, and you can find that at www.huffpost.com slash Jerome Schultz. For those of you who would like to ask a question of Dr. Schultz today following his presentation, written questions can be submitted in the questions box on your GoToWebcast toolbar as indicated by the red arrow shown in this slide. All questions are moderated and we will get to as many as possible during our Q&A portion of the webinar, of the webcast. Again, we are very pleased to present Dr. Jerome Schultz. Dr. Schultz, if you would like to begin. Great. Uh, thanks for the introduction, Karen. Pleased to be here. And uh, it's great to have the opportunity to uh, share some of what I know and some of what I feel about my work with kids with ADHD and uh, associated learning problems. And uh, to say that I'm particularly interested and concerned about the topic of today's presentation, that is the social and emotional aspects of ADHD, it seems that uh, through my entire career, I've been working with people who have uh, been trying to provide appropriate services for kids with attention problems and learning problems. And generally, people do a really good job with that. But one of the things that people pay, I don't think, pay enough attention to is the, uh, the state of mind, the emotions uh, that these kids and young adults are feeling when they're, when they're going through their lives. So to have the opportunity to help come up with some 
uh, background and, and offer some practical strategies for folks in the listening audience uh, is a great opportunity for me. I'm going to move ahead and uh, take us through some information. The first thing I want to talk about is what I think people need to know about this condition. And I know people who are listening now have a wide range of knowledge about ADHD. Some of you have been associated with kids uh, and taking care of kids for a long time, and others of you may be new to this topic. But here are the things that are important for me to uh, know about and for me to remind you about. One is that this condition, ADHD, is uh, generally referred to as a biopsychosocial condition. You'll notice the three parts of that um, descriptor there. Because this is a condition that can affect physical health, it can affect emotions, and it certainly uh, can affect relationships. And I'd like to cover um, a lot of those things in, in the next period of time that I'll be spending with you. Also, the, the other thing to know is that the earlier and the more accurate the diagnosis of this condition is, and the earlier the intervention, the better the outcome is. That is, when we know about ADHD early, when we are able to label it with confidence and understand it, then we have a better chance to do things early in a child's life that change the trajectory and offer the child a chance for a, a happier and healthier life emotionally and physically. The other thing that I've come to learn about this condition is that this stuff builds up in kids. There is what I've come to call cumulative toxicity. That means that if you're a child or a young adult or an adult who does things creatively but impulsively, uh, it's likely that you'll make some mistakes in your life, and it's, it's likely that other people will react to those mistakes. And unless there's somebody around you helping you get back up from um, falling, uh, if you will, and making a mistake or doing something that uh, doesn't involve the correct judgment, uh, those things build up. And really what I get really worried about is seeing kids who are walking around with a long, long history uh, um, of failure and not a long history of success. And I think it's important to think about ways to turn that around. The good news is that ADHD uh, is a condition that doesn't need to be a disability. ADHD really is a set of behaviors and traits and attributes that under the right conditions uh, really is a, a wonderful thing. I'm not saying that it's wonderful to have ADHD. Probably most people who have the condition uh, would say that it's not wonderful, but the fact is that people who have this condition who are in the right environment that nurtures and supports them and helps them look at the positive aspects of this condition make a lot of really wonderful contributions to our to our lives. And I think it's these kids, uh, from my point of view as a former middle school teacher, are fun to be around, funny, clever, and uh, filled with competence. And, and I like to create a, a world where they can feel more competent uh, more of the time. Uh, I think it's important for everyone who's working with kids with ADHD uh, to take a, a strength-based approach, not to figure out, not to focus on what these kids and young adults can't do, but more importantly, what they can do and how to help them do that uh, more often. 
So you're familiar with the three characteristics of ADHD. Each of these characteristics has an impact or can have an impact on the development of emotional and social skills. If you think about impulsivity being a factor, hyperactivity being a factor, inattentiveness be, uh, being a factor, those are three really important filters through which individuals with ADHD view their world. And if those are characteristic components of your condition, they will affect the way that you relate to other people and social situations, and they'll also create a reaction in other people that you have to deal with. So it's important to think about that. And these behaviors, the manifestation or the way these characteristics show up over time, change with the age of the child. So again, if we think about uh, helping a, a very young child understand the impact of impulsivity, hyperactivity, or inattentiveness on his or her interactions with the world outside him, I think we're doing that child a real and important favor. It's important to realize that in terms of mental health development, self-concept is defined by the reactions of others to the actions of one. Let me say that again. Self-concept is defined by the reactions of other people to the actions of one person. So we go through life, no matter if we have ADHD or not, and we do things, the way people respond to us shapes the way we feel about ourselves. And that's an important thing uh, to consider. And so keep that in mind as we move, on, move uh, ahead here. Uh, there are certain ADHD-related factors uh, that affect emotions that have a, an impact on the development of healthy emotions, and these are frustration, the disorganization that often comes from having ADHD, the intrusive actions that one might exhibit, uh, what appears sometimes to be bossiness in kids, difficulty in term, uh, taking turns, difficulty in sharing with other people, uh, difficulty interpreting social cues, reading the room, if you will. Uh, what I call the predictable unpredictability of kids and uh, young adults with ADHD is a factor that can affect emotions. A sense of being humiliated or embarrassed can certainly affect emotions. So these are all things that have to be taken in consideration when we're trying to help a child navigate the difficult terrain of social and emotional functioning. It's important also to realize that the emotional level of some kids with ADHD may be somewhat delayed. We know from uh, brain research that some kids with ADHD uh, mature, the brains of some kids with ADHD mature at a, a slower rate than other kids. That doesn't mean that their development is delayed. That just means that it may take a little longer for these kids to interact with their world in, a, in the same way or with the same competence that other kids their age who do not have ADHD have. So sometimes our expectations for a 12-year-old child uh, may be a, a real challenge for a kid with ADHD who may be performing, uh, in some cases, a year or, or more behind where a typical 12-year-old child uh, may be functioning. And that's not an excuse for the behavior by any means, but it certainly can be used as an explanation to people who have uh, limited ability to tolerate or understand the behavior of some uh, kids with ADHD. Also, we have to deal with the issue of coexisting conditions. ADHD overlaps with several conditions that can have an impact on the development of self-concept. The most common overlap we see is that of learning disabilities, 
there is sometimes a 30 to 50% overlay between LD and ADHD. Uh, we see more and more kids in today's schools who are suffering from anxiety or depression or even children with a more serious form of mental illness called bipolar disorder. So when ADHD exists alone, it has its own set of challenges. When ADHD exists with other conditions that interact with it, it makes it a more complex situation. Not impossible to resolve, but it's important to understand that uh, mixing ADHD with anything else may cause its, uh, its character to change. Uh, that makes it difficult to what I call differentially diagnose. That means uh, which came first, the, the ADHD or something else. There are a lot of kids who have learning disabilities, for example, who look like they're inattentive because they're trying to figure out the world around them. They're having difficulty processing uh, language, using or sending language, or understanding print materials. And as a result of that, may look confused, may look distracted. Uh, and so it's really important to look at the overlay and the interaction between ADHD and other conditions and figure out what the most serious, which, which condition causes the most serious consequence and the nature, what is the nature of that consequence. Uh, a, a big soapbox for me is helping people help kids understand their own condition. I think in too many cases, there, no one really teaches kids about this condition called ADHD. And more importantly, they don't teach kids how to deal with it effectively. What happens typically is kids get caught doing things impulsively. They get a lecture from somebody saying, you should know better than that. You better stop doing that. Or they get put into a behavior modification program that gives them rewards or takes away things depending on how good they are or how not good they are. I think what's missing from the formula is somebody who's able to, in a developmentally appropriate way, sit down with kids and explain this condition to them in a way that gives them hope and confidence that they'll be able to overcome it and live happily even though they have this condition. I think that's a missing piece. Uh, it's also true, I do a lot of, time, a lot of uh, work in schools, working with teachers and other professionals, helping them understand uh, the emotional and social underpinnings of ADHD. And even very qualified teachers, if they weren't trained specifically in special education, may be undereducated or misinformed about ADHD, what it is and how it manifests itself, and more importantly, what to do about it. So when we're talking about enhancing the social-emotional development with ADHD, it's really important that teachers and other people working with them are very well educated uh, about the condition and also skilled and competent in, in knowing what to do about it. We know from some very good research that a combination of therapy and medication, and I would say in addition to excellent school experiences, may help to speed up the progress of kids with ADHD. My plea to parents and others in the audience is that you keep an open and educated mind about the possible beneficial effects of medication. I'm very conservative when it comes to medication, but I have to say in the past 35 years of my practice, I've seen a lot of kids be able to 
uh, move much farther and much faster when aided by uh, uh, the right medication. I'm always in favor of using a behavioral approach first, and for me, medication is not necessarily a last resort, but it's not the first thing I go to. Remember, I'm a neuropsychologist and not a physician. I don't prescribe medications, uh, but I think it's important to be aware, be educated, and uh, ask questions when somebody in your child's life is suggesting medication. And make sure you get answers that satisfy you. The other thing I want to say to the audience is that it's important to be skeptical, skeptical about things that promise to be miracle fixes, things that make uh, very grandiose claims, programs or, or uh, substances or techniques that make uh, very grandiose statements about fixing kids with ADHD, making it go away. Uh, if there were, in fact, some magic elixir or some magic program that would help kids override all the effects of ADHD, Really, uh, we wouldn't really have as many kids who are plagued by this condition. If those things really worked, they would have worked for more kids by now. So I want you to keep an open mind about that, as I try to do uh, as well, uh, as I learn and continue to learn about how to best help kids with ADHD. Parents at home have a different experience with their kids very often than teachers at school have with their kids. I've been in so many situations where a child with ADHD is either is doing really, really well at school in the structured and confined and predictable environment of school, and, uh, and that same child might be having extreme difficulty at home, falling apart at the drop of a hat or at the, uh, in response to a request to do something uh, that the child can do easily. Uh, a lot of folks might be tempted to look at problems within the home as the explanation for that. But if you think about it, a child who's been working really hard, harder than other kids during the day, to keep his or her act together, to do the right thing, to uh, not be impulsive, to try to focus attention, that's a hard job. So sometimes when kids come home from school, uh, not only do they fall apart, they need to fall apart a little bit, and then they need to be put back together in a way that helps them feel peaceful and, and uh, find some content uh, at home. But uh, some things to consider at home are the fact that these are kids who take up a lot of our energy sometimes. So parents and siblings sometimes get tired uh, in doing the hard work of helping to manage a child with ADHD. They may be frustrated. And those reactions, being tired and frustrated, are actions that are read by the child. And it's important to realize that that child is, is maybe reading those reactions of other people um, as a disappointment or as dissatisfaction. Uh, so it's important to say to a child, honey, I'm tired and I, I don't want to act this way. I don't want to react this way. But this is really hard for you. It's really hard for me, too. Let's get through this together. I think that's the kind of message that I would like to in, have uh, parents instill at home. It's true, too, that because ADHD is a biological uh, condition, it is often passed from one family member to another or shows up in more than one family member. And so it's important to consider the impact of two or more people in the family who have this condition and how those people interact with each other and how those behaviors that are associated with ADHD interact or bump into or are compatible with other people. 
Another thing that's important to remember at home is that parents may not be aligned with each other about the way they view their child with ADHD. If it's a mom, if a mom has ADHD and the dad doesn't, the mom may have a totally different perspective about this condition. Or if a dad has grown up with ADHD and is now successful in spite of the ADHD or even because of the ADHD, parents might have a difference of opinion. But it's not only parents, it's grandparents, it's brothers and sisters, it's aunts and uncles. So it's important to look at the alignment within the family because if a child with ADHD is experiencing a range of impressions, opinions, uh, and opinions about this condition, that might be confusing for a child. The impact of ADHD on a family life could be a positive influence. It can be fun and funny and appealing and attractive, or it can be challenging and stressful and uh, filled with uh, tears and, and sadness. And it's important to understand that, uh, especially in a child who is not feeling good about having this condition or, ha- or feeling, not feeling good about how she, he or she deals with it, may be more stressful than other kids because he or she is under more stress. That the issue of time that it takes to work with this child after school, for time away from home, the money that parents spend on treatment and transportation and therapy and those kinds of things all, all have an impact on family life. Uh, the presence of a child with ADHD in a family could have an impact on the intimacy that's shared between husband and wife in a family because these kids uh, may tire us out, they may be time-consuming, there may be no time or energy left for intimacy, and that's a problem too. Uh, parents some, and sometimes say to me they feel alone in this uh, journey of a, along the pathway to uh, better help for ADHD because they're dealing with this. They say people don't get this, people don't understand understand this. So the more the impact the more the, the the more impact there is on family life, the harder it is for parents to have the energy and the stamina to support their child in the way that can be most helpful. It's most important to realize, I think, the joy that comes from both the condition itself when it's funny and attractive and appealing, but also from effectively managing this problem, effectively helping your child see that there is hope, see that despite having this condition that he or she can be successful, is successful, and is a contributing member of the family, of the classroom, and of society. That's a joyful experience, and it's important to think about that. So let me think about practical things to say and and do. Uh, I think it's important that you educate your kids about their ADHD. This may go on may go without saying, uh, but uh, as I said earlier, some kids don't understand their own condition and how it impacts them. If as a parent that's difficult for you to do or you need more help with that, maybe a teacher can help you, maybe a psychologist working with your child can help you make this explanation. And you might have to give this explanation several times over the lifetime of a child, uh, if you remember what I said earlier about developmental differences along the way. A child of five doesn't understand things in the same way as a child of ten. I think it's important to say to kids things like, this condition may cause you to be different. That's a truth, but it's up to us, meaning you, me, the family, your mom, your dad, your brothers and your sisters. It's up to us and your teachers and your therapists. It's up to us whether this is a disability. It doesn't need to be an impediment to you. It's a difference, but let's try to think of it as an asset and try to use it like fuel for good performance. 
the next thing I would do is to try to, fi- to provide explicit instruction to kids about how to navigate their world as a kid with ADHD, what to do in this situation and what to do in another situation, and also giving a child opportunities to practice what he or she has learned uh, uh, time after time after time. Kids don't become good musicians without practicing. Uh, but in the same vein, kids don't learn self-control unless they've got the opportunity to learn self-control in structured environments. If we leave these, these lessons to chance, chances are your kid is going to uh, experience failure. If you structure how to live with ADHD into the uh, plan for your child, if the lessons become part of everyday life with your chi- for your child, then I think you have more hope of having your child take more responsibility for herself and be more productive and successful. I think it's important to say to kids things like, you have to work harder and you have to work than other kids um, to do what you want to do, to have the kind of life you deserve and you want, and we're all going to help you with that. I think it's very realistic to say to kids, you have to work harder and smarter because uh, it's not just, some people say, well, you have to work harder to make that happen. You really have to work in different ways. That's where the smarter part comes in. I think it's important to make kids, make sure that your kids have an opportunity to do what I call saving face. If they make a mistake, they have to have the opportunity to repair the mistake, to say I'm sorry, to fix it, and to rebuild broken relationships and rebuild broken objects. Uh, That's an important tool to building self-concepts because if kids just keep making social mistakes or social errors or they misperceive things and they don't get a chance to go back in and fix them, they have to live with that sadness, and that's a problem. I think it's important for everybody who lives with and cares about a child with ADHD serve as a, a PR agent for kids. Uh, and I think the bottom line for me, uh, it's not enough, but it's really important to say to kids, I love you, I care about you, and say that a lot because these kids need to hear it. I think it's important to think about the possibility of having your kid attend summer school programs or after-school programs that actually deal with ADHD in a frank and positive manner. Even putting, putting your child into a program where people don't understand ADHD and understand how to help your child grow means that he or she is going to be in a program where they're going to bump into other people or bump into other ideas um, emotionally and physically, and they're going to have just more negative experiences. I think it's important to put them on the right side of the equation and make sure they're working in programs where people are saying and doing the right things with them. If you find that your family's support and a teacher's support and, uh, is not enough, if school and home together working in collaboration is not enough, it's important to look for a therapist perhaps to work with your child. And if you do this, whether it's for your child or for the, or parents or other people in the family, make sure that you find someone who has a proven track record with kids with ADHD. Uh, in order to work with these kids well and provide good services, you have to know these kids. You have to get these kids, and you have to understand the subtle and pervasive impact of having ADHD uh, and how it inf- impact, impacts school and social life and, and home life. So ask some questions. It's good to have an initial interview with a therapist, and don't be afraid to, to, to look around for somebody who meets your style and needs. 
I do think it's important to work as a team. Teachers across this country are very highly qualified, talented people who know a lot about working with kids in general, and, know, and many of them know a lot about working with kids with ADHD. You almost have to in order to be a good teacher. Therapists also should be involved. Parents should be involved. Kids should be involved. Don't try to do this alone. Working as a team leads to a better outcome. Uh, if there are differences of opinion among the people who work with your child, it's really important to take the time to work out your differences, even if you agree to disagree. If you have a clinician who's done an evaluation of your child who, and their opinion differs from that of the school, that conflict is not going to help your child. Resolving that conflict is. And if you have questions when I finish the formal part of the slide presentation about that, I have some ideas about how to make that happen. Remember what I call the three C's. Competence and confidence lead to a greater sense of control. And what I mean by competence is feeling like you can do something and doing it. A lot of kids in school today who have ADHD uh, don't feel confident. They too often do not feel competent because their disability gets in the way. But when you have confidence and competence that comes from good training, good experiences, good exposure, you develop a greater sense of control. Control is the best way to manage the stress that can help a brain work uh, uh, less efficiently. When kids are under stress, their brains don't work well. And the competence and confidence and control formula is something that's really important to keep in mind. If, despite the very best efforts of the very best schools and the efforts of a great therapist, your child continues to be down in the dumps, you might consider a special school or a program for kids with ADHD. That can be an expensive, time-consuming proposition, but the investment up front in your child's life is something that will pay off very handsomely later on. Think about that. The bottom line here is that your child's mental health is way too precious to leave to hope and to chance. Kids feel better kids do better, and kids are able to look forward to a more successful future when they're feeling better about themselves. So this is a very, very important mission. So hopefully we'll have some time to talk about this, and I'll turn the microphone back over to Karen, and I think Karen's going to lead us into the next session. We have questions that have come in. And Dr. Schultz, I want to thank you for going through your presentation with us. I think this has been very helpful. You can enter questions now in the question box to the left of your screen. And one of the things I'd like to add also, Dr. Schultz, thank you so much for mentioning CHAD and the resources we have for families. And I'd also like to add that the National Resource Center on ADHD at www.help4adhd.org also has a lot of resources that families can use. And we have them available, and you also can give us a call. Again, we're here Monday to Friday, 1 to 5, at 1-800-233-4050. So our first question now, though, is coming. Actually, it's two questions, and we're going to put them together. They're from Tammy and Maria. And Tammy has a 7-year-old who was recently diagnosed with ADHD. And she and her son's father are a little bit, a little bit hesitant of, to explain that he has ADHD and what does it mean because they're kind of concerned about him being labeled. And he, and also Maria was wondering what is the right age to tell a child that he has ADHD. So their question really is 
what is the right age and how to go about explaining that for a younger child, maybe one in elementary school, one in middle school? I think it's an excellent uh, question that Tammy and Maria are at, both questions that Tammy and Maria are asking, and parents ask that question often. Uh, the answer I, I, I give to this is I think that unless you give a developmentally appropriate explanation of the difficulty to a child, the labels that he or she gives to himself or other people give to him are much worse than any label of ADHD. With little kids, you don't have to say ADHD or you don't have to say ADD, but you can say to little kids, when you have to focus or when you have to settle down or when you have to show self-control, that may be harder for you than other kids because that's just one of the ways that you're different from some other kids. It doesn't have to be a deep, long discussion about a, clinically, uh, a clinical condition. But I do think kids have to understand that it is harder for them to do certain things. It's better to pick things that are difficult for the child to do, acknowledge that it's difficult, and say, and you know what to do about this. You know how when you count to three before you do something that it lets you do a better job at it. And that's implying that you're going to practice these things when, when you teach these strategies. But you can talk to kids. There's a book called How Does I think the official title is uh, the right title is How My How Does My Engine uh, Go. Um, I may be misquoting that. And I should have a good reference here. But uh, but do you think about kids' engines and using the analogy of an engine? Uh, and uh, sometimes kids' engines work too fast, and the fact that they need to settle down will help them be more successful. So I think it's important to pair the simple explanation with a strategy that's going to help the child, and that begins the foundation for perhaps a more formal definition or a more formal explanation later on as the child is older. Well, thank you. Actually, Tammy has a follow-up question, and she was wondering two things. Would you suggest CBT, cognitive behavior therapy, for a seven-year-old? And also, would you suggest or recommend parent training classes for her family and for other families who have a child who has ADHD? What are your thoughts on those? Uh, in terms of family support, if a family needs, if a family feels like it needs more support or education about uh, helping their child with ADHD, I think the idea of family support groups or f even uh, therapy groups or parent training sessions are an excellent idea because there is a lot known uh, about how to be more effective parents with kids with ADHD. And if you have to discover that on your own or try to practice it on your own, uh, that's sometimes a challenge. Being able to meet regularly with a group of people, uh, either in a parent-led group or a therapist-led group, uh, is like having um, private lessons in how to be the parent of a child with ADHD. And especially if there's a difference of opinion within, opinion within the family, to have those two people go together, those three people go together to a parent training session or a series of uh, sessions, that's going to make a real difference that's going to last for a very long time. So certainly I would advocate for that. The other question about uh, the other question was whether CBT or cognitive behavior therapy is good for a seven-year-old child. Well, it really depends. Cognitive behavioral therapy is a really uh, good way for kids to uh, work on changing the way they see a situation. 
and and thinking about different ways they could react to it. The theory behind it is very good. It's a very effective form of therapy. It really depends on the kind of problems that the child has. So I can't say that CBT is a good form of therapy for every kid with ADHD. First of all, every kid with ADHD doesn't need to be in therapy. Uh, but if a child is having difficulties with anxiety for uh, uh, and let's say is afraid to go to school or nervous about going to school, or a child is having um, uh, negative outbursts that are caused by underlying anxiety, uh, CBT is a very good um, approach to helping kids deal with that. It's really an approach that gets kids to, to start to talk about what they think about certain situations and so that a therapist or a counselor can hear the thoughts that underlie the behaviors, and then the therapist is in a position to help the child develop different things, alternative strategies, different ways to respond to these situations that are of concern. So I think the real question has to be answered on an individual level. If a therapist is suggesting CBT, parents should say, why are you suggesting that? Why are you suggesting that type of therapy and not something else? What do you hope will the outcome be? What do you hope the outcome will be of this therapy? And how long do you think it should take before we see the effectiveness of this therapy? Those are important questions to ask as well. Thank you. Well, on the, on the heels of that question, we have one from Lisa, and she says that she has a high school son, a student, a high school, a young man in high school, and. Uh, they are looking at a private boarding school for him because the public schools that he has attended don't seem to be meeting his needs. She was wondering if you have any schools in mind or something parents can do to find a good private school setting for a young person who has ADHD. Some parents find themselves at that intersection where their child has been in school for a long time and they don't feel that the child's on a good trajectory. So the idea of looking for an independent school or a private school uh, it might be a, might be a good option. I'm certainly I, I, it would be inappropriate and inadvisable for me to suggest individual schools. Uh, although I know that many excellent schools exist across the country. It depends on where you live. You mentioned uh, boarding schools, so that uh, narrows the field a little bit. Most uh, uh, cities, most towns have people in them that specialize in helping parents find appropriate private school or independent school placements for their kids. I think it's really good to go through, and it doesn't have to be in your town. It could, you could contact somebody in another city, um, but that you're looking for a private school advisory um, company. And that it's good to use individuals or groups like that because they're in these schools often. Uh, they have uh, most of them been in business for a long time. They know the people in independent schools. They know the culture, the climate of independent schools, and they can be very helpful in helping to make sure there's a good match between your child's needs and personality and the school um, that um, is is on the uh, the list of schools that you're considering. I think it's important. It's very very difficult and expensive to do that alone. Expensive that it, meaning if you make uh, a bad choice, and six months later you find yourself looking around for another school. That's that that comes at large financial costs and large emotional costs. So I would seek out a private school placement advisory company and have them help you with that uh, task. All right. Well, thank you. 
Our next question is coming from Ellen, and her daughter is younger, she's in middle school, and she's struggling academically, she's having trouble with hard tasks, and she's getting upset easily and, and lacking confidence, losing her confidence. Ellen was wondering how she can explain her daughter's symptoms to her and to her teacher so that they understand that she's not being lazy. She says um, the teacher thinks that her daughter is just being a typical teenager, tweenager, but not really understanding that this is ADHD. So it's kind of two sides. How can she explain some of this to her middle school daughter, but more importantly, explain this also to the teachers? I'm, first of all, I'm sorry to hear that uh, Ellen's daughter is in that situation at all. Uh, if she has ADHD, I'm going to assume that it's been uh, diagnosed and labeled by some professional, whether it's a pediatrician, or an independent psychologist, or uh, even a psychologist in the school or a team within the school. One of the things I would suggest is that Ellen seek out that person who did the evaluation and came up with that diagnostic conclusion and ask them for both their opinion on this, but also ask them for their help in explaining uh, her daughter's condition to her daughter because presumably they've spent some time with the daughter getting to know her in order to diagnose the condition, they may be in a very good position to explain the condition to her in a, um, in a developmentally appropriate way. Uh, that would be my first advice. I, you know, I've, I'm a neuropsychologist. I've done hundreds of evaluations over the years. I'm not doing them anymore, but one of the things that was always very helpful to families and kids is that I sit down with their kids and explain their condition to them. They spent three to five to six hours with me uh, letting me find out what makes them tick. And uh, very often kids don't get the opportunity to sit down with the person who did the evaluation and say, well, let me, let me explain you to you. And that's important. Once your daughter has that understanding, uh, then I think it's easier for her to advocate for herself and to even talk to her teachers about the condition. If her teachers just think she's a typical student um, and don't see the problem she's exhibiting as related to her ADHD, then they need to talk to that professional. Uh, there should be a team meeting at the school where the data that supports the diagnosis is shared with the teachers, and people should start looking at individual behaviors that this little girl is exhibiting and ask if it could be related to the ADHD. Uh, I think it's important different, to differentiate being a typical teenage kid from a teenage kid with ADHD. I hope that advice is helpful. I think it is. I think it is helpful, and uh, it is very tempting for some people who are not familiar with ADHD to just say, "Oh, she's being a teenager." So I do think that's helpful. Well, our next question now is coming from Rebecca, and she has a nine-year-old son, and he has ADHD along with dyslexia and auditory processing disorder. And he is getting services from the school, but he's still struggling to learn. His bigger problem at the moment, though, is he's being bullied, and he is struggling to form and keep friendships. And she's wondering, how can she help her son with this, with this problem? Uh, Rebecca's story is, is uh, like many other parents, are describing a child who's got a combination of challenges, including ADHD and dyslexia and auditory processing uh, problems, uh, which makes uh, school and, and academics uh, perhaps difficult for him and certainly does, can also make um, social uh, interactions difficult. 
as I said earlier in the presentation, self-concept or self-esteem is sometimes shaped by the reactions of other people to you. So if the behaviors that the child, this child is exhibiting are related to the ADHD, um, it's important to help him understand um, that other people's reactions to him may be colored by that. Let me be a little more specific, though, a little more uh, direct about the bullying issue. I'm not suggesting that this child is being bullied because he has ADHD, but I am. if the child is being bullied, the first thing I would say is that it's the school's responsibility to create and maintain a safe environment for any child, uh, and especially the child who's got this combination of challenges. So if Rebecca feels that the school isn't dealing appropriately with her child, isn't providing him with safety and protection so that he doesn't get continually badgered by a kid or another kid or, God forbid, an, an adult, then the, the school's, the, the responsibility is on the school. Um, the school is obligated to provide a safe environment. Um, I think in a practical matter, if Rebecca has the opportunity to create social uh, experiences for her child, that is to have um, um, events at her house where other kids get invited in, one or two kids that your son, her son might um, get along with, and structure some activities that allow the kids to interact together and learn to get to know each other on a comfortable level, uh, that's, uh, th that's something that she can do too. But if, again, I go back, I get kind of my, my uh, the hair goes up on the back of my neck when I think about this, if that school doesn't have an effective anti-bullying program or, po or policy or set of procedures in place, uh, that's not a safe place for a child to be. So I hope that she goes back to the school and shares that problem with them. Thank you. Well, Dina has a question that kind of follows that, where uh, he's struggling to make friends. Her son is 10 years old, and she's wondering what is an appropriate and socially acceptable age for her son to share with his friends, his peers, that he has ADHD. That's an excellent question. Um, and I think that it's a risky, it's a risky business because it, depending on the the environment that kids find themselves in, some kids may want to be uh, want to share the information about ADHD or a learning disability or any other condition they may have. And when the environment is a safe, supportive environment where kids trust each other and know that the information uh, won't be taken the wrong way or used against them, I think it's great when kids have the confidence and the desire to share uh, their their condition. I think uh, that her son's teacher would be helpful uh, would be helpful in, in answering that question more directly because she would know what the culture and the climate of the school is. In a, in a classroom where kids, who are, where kids are regularly asked to identify those factors that help them learn better and those factors that get in the way of their ability to learn better, that kind of environment where those questions are asked often of all kids makes it easier for a kid like Gina or Dina's son uh, wants to say, so, well, sometimes I have difficulty paying attention and I know I have a condition that makes that hard for me, but you know what? Here's what I do about it. So I think if this boy is going to be in a position to explain his condition, he ought to also think about explaining what he does about it. So not only is he perceived as a kid with a problem, but he's perceived as a kid with solutions. And I think that's really important in terms of shaping self-concept. 
when kids get older, they often uh, write essays in their English classes that weave in the story of their ADHD, and they talk about how they live with it, how they conquer it. That's important. And either in later stages when kids are applying to colleges who have ADHD, they often weave in the ADHD tale in their college applications, but they don't talk about it as a liability or a deficit. They talk about it as something they have, something they live with, and something they've learned to conquer or master. Thank you. Well, our next question is coming from Kara, and she was wondering if you recommend homeschooling if parents can't find a suitable placement for their, chi for their child that encourages confidence for their child. So is homeschooling something that you would recommend in this case? Uh, it's, it depends on whether everything at the public school or the, the general, the, 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 the regular school is, is exhausted. If a child's had a year of bad experiences but you anticipate that the next year might be a better year and you can structure that uh, environment for success, I think the opportunity for kids to be in, a, in, a, um, in an environment where they get to interact with, with a, a lot of kids and with different kinds of kids is a good thing in general. But if Kara's, uh, in Kara's experience, the school has been a toxic experience for a child, uh, then homeschooling is certainly an, an option. Uh, the real question is, what does homeschooling mean to this child? Is, it, is the home a place that can uh, teach this child uh, specific techniques and strategies to use to work around or work through the problems that might be related to his ADHD? Is it the kind of environment that will give this child experiences in which he will feel confident and competent so that his self-esteem is bolstered and he becomes stronger and stronger and gets ready for perhaps a return to a public school or even a private school environment later on? I think homeschooling has a lot to offer to some kids uh, who need it. It really depends on what happens at home and weighing that against what happens or what happened at school. If homeschooling provides a child with a better, more wholesome, more healthy environment uh, that allows the child to stay emotionally healthy, uh, then, I, then I can't see how that could be a bad idea. Uh, but I think you really have to weigh the pros and cons of both. And you have to ask if homeschooling, comma, then with whom, for how long, and so forth. I hope that answer is helpful. I think that is a helpful answer, and I think that gives Kara uh, and the rest of our audience a lot to think about. Well, our next question comes from Hillary, and she has our second to the last question. We'll have one more after hers. And she, was, she says that her son is very sensitive. He has ADHD, and her husband um, also has ADHD, but he has no patience for their son's outbursts. Her husband says that there should be consequences for the son's behaviors, but this leads to a lot of stress in their family for their son, for their relationship as, as a family. And she was wondering if you had any advice for them. Well, I, I, I hear that her son is sensitive, and I think it's great, a sensitive people are nice people unless they're too sensitive and they get hurt as a result of it. So I don't want to, I don't want to take away the sensitivity, but if da dad may have had, had his own experiences with ADHD uh, and may have encountered a different kind of reaction to the, to the, maybe even the same behaviors that, that Hillary's son is, is exhibiting. She says that her husband has no patience for him and thinks there should be consequences. And, 
one hand, I agree with uh, her husband. There should be consequences for behavior. But when I hear consequences, it often means punishments or uh, taking things away or making a child uh, do something that makes him think about uh, not doing it again. Uh, and, it's, and it's often laced with fear. Fear, to my, in my view, is not a good teacher. Fear is, a, is a, an environment that creates stress in a child's mind and actually makes the problems worse. If you remember earlier in the presentation, I talked about kids having the opportunity to save face or repair things or fix things that they've done. And that just doesn't, doesn't just mean a, a child saying, oops, I did that again, I'm sorry, and expected to get away from it. It means saying, oops, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to do that, and let me show you how much I didn't mean it by doing something that will repair it. I will take my allowance if I get it and save it up and buy a new one. I will get out the glue and fix what I broke. If I said something wrong, I'll write a letter of apology, and I will promise to try my best not to do it again. And the other thing that kids can do in their, in their own defense is to say, look, you know, Dad, I have ADHD. You know what that's like. You had it too. I'm not using it as an excuse, but I think you'll understand if I use it as an explanation. And if the child says, look, I can't help myself because I have ADHD, that's an excuse. I think kids ought to be strengthened and toughened by having the opportunity to fix what they've broken, mend uh, relationships that they've affected, uh, take back and change language that they've used, and whatever the problem is, so that they become stronger as a result. Um, so uh, I think there are many dads uh, like Hillary's husband who find it difficult to deal with a child uh, who exhibits behaviors that are troubling. Uh, and if your son is sensitive, uh, that means an angry response to him or an intolerant response to him is going to drive him further inward. And I think that would be uh, unfortunate. It would be unfortunate, and I think you've given some good advice, not just for Hillary's family, but for a lot of our audience members and a lot of those who will be listening to us later. Well, I would like to welcome our listeners from La Paz, Bolivia, and we've received your question, and this is, I think, a good one for us to wrap things up with. They are wondering, uh, with limited access to professionals in Bolivia and other parts of the world, other parts of the United States, how can we get quality assessments that result in constructive treatment treatment for um, I'm sorry result in constructive treatment for from professionals who don't always have experience in ADHD so what can they do to find good good quality assessment and good quality treatment uh, an excellent uh, question and uh, a, a, a kind of a sad commentary on the fact that in all places in the world there aren't uh, the resources that parents often need and seek. Um, unfortunately, the, w one of the solutions to that problem is that parents uh, spend valuable time and, and use a lot of money to travel to places where qualified uh, experts live and work who can perhaps help their children. I think that's unfortunate, but sometimes it's a reality. Uh, sometimes it's not possible for parents to do that. Uh, and if that's the case, 
uh, if parents don't have the financial resources or the time resources to leave where they live and go to another place where uh, services might, appropriate services might be available. I would start with uh, some of the websites that I mentioned uh, earlier in the presentation and seek out information about informal assessment of uh, ADHD, uh, the use of checklists, the use of behavior rating scales that are available online sometimes. I'm not saying take a do-it-yourself approach to the diagnosis, but I'm, think, but I'm saying the parents can be very uh, helpful in moving this along if they collect information that suggests that this child has this condition, if they're looking for a confirmation of the diagnosis, uh, and then if they eventually find or are able to locate a clinician who can work with them, they'll have data that will speed up the diagnostic process. There are, in some cases, clinicians who offer uh, remote services to areas outside of their jurisdiction. There are licensing issues in that regard. In other words, it's not legal to practice psychology outside of your, your state of licensure in most situations. Uh, but there are people who provide consultation uh, without providing clinical services. So it is sometimes possible uh, to connect with someone who's able to provide uh, some support uh, in a, in, from a remote location. Uh, that said, uh, I think that if these parents um, uh, are able to access books uh, and materials that they can share with the child's teacher, one te pick one teacher or two teachers they believe uh, understands the behaviors, if not the condition, and take it upon themselves to educate that parent, or that teacher, or a group of teachers about ADHD. Some parents in other countries have started their own ADHD support groups and brought people in to speak to the group so that the teachers in the school in the area would become educated about this condition. I realize we're running out of time, so I'm going to stop there and let you take over the mic, and let's see where we are. Okay, Karen? Sounds good. I think this has been a, a really good presentation, and, and I want to thank you, Dr. Schultz, for your time with us today. I want to thank our audience members who have joined us. I think our audience has really found this to be a helpful session with some really good pointers that they can start using with their children and, and helping their children understand ADHD and how it's affecting them and to become good advocates for themselves. For our audience, on Wednesday, February 4th, we are welcoming Ann Dolan. She's the author of Homework Made Simple, Tips, Tools, and Solutions for Stress-Free Homework. For our upcoming Ask the Expert webcast, Overcoming Academic Obstacles from Procrastination to Perfectionism. You can register now at help4adhd.org or on the CHAD website at chad.org slash asktheexpert. Thank you again for participating with us in this presentation. This has been a presentation of the National Resource Center on ADHD. We are a program of chat. We hope that you have found this to be helpful, and we hope you enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you very much.